Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone, then be seated. Oh, good crowd today. Praise the Lord. Good, good. Thank you. You may be seated. As we have said already, we do have bulletins. You can pick them up in the back. You that are viewing can get them digitally. And uh, there is inside the bulletin, for example, this by Mrs. Oliver B. Green, man of Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble, Job 14.1. Storms come quickly and without warning as they do on the Sea of Galilee. Storms of affliction, storms of temptation, storms of misfortune, one after another. One storm passes and we think, surely the sun will shine for a while now. But listen, do not even uh, now hear the muttering thunder of another storm approaching on the far horizon. He said, that's pretty, that's pretty negative, but it's very realistic, isn't it? How many of you when, you, when you have a storm and you finally get through it, you kind of brace yourself for the next one? Come on. Yep. And aren't you glad that God's grace is sufficient? That He takes care of us and He brings us through those storms. And we're glad for a prayer sheet. If you're not on our prayer sheet, we want to urge you to go ahead and, um, and turn in a, a prayer request and it'll be included in our prayer sheet. We pray numbers of times during the week. And we'd like to include you as well. Also, in the back, you can get... Uh, this is just cu coming up tomorrow. We only receive them three days, four days in advance. Usually we get them two weeks in advance. This is the three-month days of praise. Absolutely free. Take one, two, three, as many copies as you can use. One at work, one at home, one for a friend. Uh, we've got them uh, in the back and on the way out at the Welcome Center. Absolutely free doesn't take the place of your Bible reading, but it certainly will help you with your daily devotions. And how many of you have received comfort or blessing from these? Yes. Be sure to pick them up on the way out. Take whatever you can use. Along with those, we also have our Acts and Facts. This is put out by the same people. Uh, it's about creationism. Uh, it is against evolution and everything that's anti-God and anti-Bible. And I urge you to pick it up. You will be amazed... Uh, we're not just a bunch of hayseeds down, uh, down someplace without uh, any kind of intellect or uh, ec you know, mental exercise, but uh, some really, really good things in there. Thank you so much. Also, get a copy of this. Don't start fights now. I don't want to have to come bail you out, but St. Patrick was a Baptist. Did you know that? And um, he was not Irish. He was English. He was from Great Britain. He was the son of a deacon, and the churches in England in those days were the result of Pudens, who was a disciple of Paul, who went to the British Isles and started local churches. And they, they might not have had Baptist on the outside of their meeting place, but they were Baptists in doctrine and practice. They were just like us. Patrick was, was not a Romanist. Uh, in fact, when the Romanists came to England some years after that, they adopted Patrick. His name was Sucket, by the way, not Patrick. And uh, he got saved and he decided uh, God was calling him to go back and win some of those people that had mistreated him in the Emerald Isle. So on St. Patrick's Day, which falls on a Wednesday, uh, March 17th, I'm going to wear red instead of green because red for the martyr Baptists. Amen. Amen. So pick one up. Please do not start a fight over this. But instead, speak the truth in love. And this can be the means of winning someone to Christ. We're printing more of these up. Uh, and on the back, we'll have the plan of salvation so that it'll be evangelistic. And uh, 
Uh, we'll have, <coughs> have those available. We just have a few copies right now for your edification. I hope that you'll pick those up. And thank you once again for being here. We're glad for our guests as well as our regular attenders. And I see some folks may be out uh, with illness or other things that are going on. But thank you for being here today and making the effort. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We thank God for the local church. And our bulletin says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's taken from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we can go there. We're going to be in and out of various passages of Scripture today. As we talk about things that the Lord loved, we saw on the first weekend of the month of February that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We're to love Him totally and completely. And the second great commandment is likened to the first. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we preached on that. You can get a copy of that. Also, the second week uh, being uh, Valentine's Day, we talked about family love, about loving your spouse, loving your children, your parents, your loved ones. And, uh, and you can get that one as well. Last week, we talked about loving our country, even though the day known as President's Day had fallen the day after Valentine's Day. We kind of observed it on Sunday the 21st, closer to George Washington's birthday, and we talked about our great land and how God has blessed us, and we ought to love our country. But now today, I want you to see how Christ loved the church and how He gave Himself for it, and He is our example. And for that reason, we ought to love the church. When I speak of the church... I'm using the word church the same way that it's used in the New Testament. 115 times we find the word ecclesia, spelled different ways, some with a K, some with a C, but it's the same idea. It's made up of two words. It's a called out assembly. And in, in New Testament times, when the Greeks use that word, and it comes, it is a Greek word, uh, when they use the word, they would talk about a visible, organized bodily gathering of people. And that's the way it's used in the New Testament. A church is an assembly of people. When God's people who are scripturally baptized come together and covenant together to carry out the Great Commission, observe the ordinances, and do the work of the New Testament local church, we come together, we assemble, and that makes us a church. These are unusual times, and some folks are viewing us, but other, others are assembling right here. And how important is that? I believe it's essential. I believe it's so very important. Jesus loved the church, and he gave himself for it. Please look with me at the entire verse, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, as I see that, that's a commandment. Now, if you are a guy, you know who you are. Now, I know there's a lot of confusion, but you at least ought to know who you are. If you are a guy and you are married, my Bible says that we are commanded to love our wives. You say, well, I just, I just love her just naturally. I just love her just naturally. I'm glad you love her naturally. But you and I are commanded, guys, to love our wife. Each of us love our own wife. And we're to do it in a special way. As. See that word as? A-S. As. That's that's introducing a simile, a figure of speech. As Christ also loved the church 
and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. If you haven't figured it out already, this passage of Scripture is in the midst of an exhortation to husbands and wives and how the marriage is to be conducted before God. I know there are lots of laws, there are lots of social mores and practices, but what does God have to say about this institution? Do you know that before there ever was human government, before there ever was a church, there was a family. God brought Adam and Eve together. God performed the first wedding ceremony. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And, and she, of course, was taken from him. And the Bible doesn't speak of a demeaning relationship, but a loving, caring, cooperating relationship. It is impossible for us to be filled with the Spirit, to profess that, and in fact to be filled with the Spirit, and to treat people in a nasty way. Come on, amen. It is impossible for us to treat each other nasty while claiming to be filled with the Spirit because one or the other doesn't balance out. Something's wrong there. If you're full of the Spirit, as it says back in verse 18, and be not drunk with wine, we're in His excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I'm not preaching against booze today. I do that plenty. But this has to do with a control of our life, of our thinking. A person that is drunk on alcohol sees different, thinks differently, walks differently, has a different way of being, acting, talking, and so forth. And a person who is drunk on the Holy Spirit, filled with, controlled by the Holy Spirit, is going to think differently, see differently, speak differently, walk differently, treat each other differently. What I'm saying to you today has to do with Christ and the church, but it also has to do with our interrelationships. And I preach a lot on that because the Bible is a book about relationships. Now somebody here today might say, I'm a, I'm a lonely person. I'm not saying that necessarily if you're single you're lonely, you could be in a group and be lonely. Somebody might be saying, all I ever wanted was to have somebody. All I ever wanted was to, to, you know, have kids and a family to be with when I get home. Listen, if you will wait on the Lord and seek His perfect will, you'll be so glad you listened to this preacher. There might be somebody who today is saying, oh, I'm being judged. I'm in church because I'm divorced or divorced and remarried. Nobody's judging you. Nobody is standing in judgment. We are the least and, and are incapable of judging anybody else. The scripture is clear that we ought to treat uh, our marriage vows with, uh, with sacred uh, and, um, and with high and holy, uh, um, how can I say this, as though it's, it's the most serious contract that you've ever struck, the most important agreement that you've ever made in your entire life. I understand that. But there are also in this day and time numbers of people who have been treated treacherously and people who have been done dirty. And I know that marriages sadly don't last. And because of that, 
They come to church and they're looking for some relief for their pain. And guess what they get? More pain. I don't want to give you any more pain. I want to tell you, there is a God who understands, knows everything about us, loves us, cares about us. You might be the widow who's sitting here today and you're saying, I wish I still had my partner. He or she's gone on already and I'm lonely and alone. But God knows all about it and you're not alone. Other people who wish that things were better in their relationships, maybe their families are broken apart, estranged, maybe by sin or disagreement or misunderstanding. I want you to know that God understands. God feels and cares for you. And because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, there is a provision of grace given to every hurting person in this building today if you'll just receive it. My God loves you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to draw you to Himself. And He wants you to understand that in His perfect will there's nothing better in the whole world. So when we speak of relationships, this is a biblical subject. This is a subject that we have a lot to say about but won't cover today. But I know that God wants us to have His very best. Maybe you've been praying for somebody who's struggling in the areas of relationships. And you keep on praying. You ask God to extend His grace to those folks. And we need a lot of God's love and grace in the local church as well. The local church is a family, as we have seen so often. Dr. Thomas Strauss wrote some time ago that ecclesia doesn't have two meanings. It's got one meaning. I realize that there are people today that are confused in the world of religion. And they'll say, everybody who ever trusted Christ is part of the church. And they speak of the church as some big universal invisible something or other. What they're actually talking about is the family of God on earth and in heaven. And everybody who's been saved the Bible way is part of the family of God. Welcome to the family. But as far as the local church is concerned, that's for born-again people who profess it. They get scripturally baptized. They accompany themselves together. They're faithful. They're loyal. They come to services or they show up financial interest, uh, they support the church, they're there, they're part of it, they're serving side by side. They're part of something that functions and something that works. And if you haven't found your niche where you can serve the Lord effectively, let me invite you to do that. Many of you that are viewing out there, and you're viewing from Europe to Asia and all across America today and, and in the future, I want to invite you to become part of what God is doing. And if you haven't got a local church, let us help you. We want to be part of that as well. We're not going to change our doctrine just because it's convenient. There are people who say, you know, if you preach so hard on the local church, if you are so hard about Patrick being a Baptist, you're so hard about uh, the New Testament believers agreeing with what we believe in our, in our doctrine and practice, you're going to drive people away. It's not my goal to drive people away. It's my goal to tell the truth. There's only one way to heaven, and that's by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. I don't care whose tank you got baptized in or sprinkled or whatever you went through. That won't get you to heaven. I don't care how many good works you do. I don't care how many of the Ten Commandments you know and attempt to keep or the Golden Rule or whatever it is, doing good to others. That won't get you to heaven. The only thing that will save you is trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus died on an old rugged cross. He shed all of his blood. That means voluntarily and deliberately he did that for you and for me. And for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. After you get saved, after you've received Christ by a simple prayer of faith, when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation from all your sins, past, present, and future, then the next thing you need to do is follow the Lord in scriptural believers' baptism. We have the proper authority. We've got the water. It's warm. It's ready for you. If you're willing to say, yes, he did that for me. He died, was buried, rose again for me. Then you can be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you can be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. It pictures our death to our old self-willed way of living. We can now live victoriously. It pictures the fact that when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ are going to rise first and we're all going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. It's a wonderful thing. Nothing in that tank washes away your sins. Everything in that tank is there. It's just clear water. It is for the purpose of picturing death, burial, and resurrection. Now that you know it, you can respond at the invitation. Say, I want to do that. And that's a good thing to do. The people that have done that scripturally, that want to accompany together, have found we have so much in common. It starts with Jesus Christ. And we don't want bad things to happen to our church. We want good things to happen to our church. We have a, a love for our church. And what does that love do? As we've been studying Ephesians on Wednesday night, we saw this past Wednesday night in verse number 2 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. So it affects our lifestyle, our walk. It is, a, it is a love that is perfect because it leads us. We've, we, we follow His leadership. He leads us. That's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I don't know how to respond in a situation or circumstance of life, and I find myself there all the time, I just pray and I'm directed by the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of Christ within me. I'm directed into what the Word of God says and I know how to respond. I know that... A soft answer turneth away wrath. There's one for you to discover. You say, well, if they, if they pour it on me, I'm going to pour it on back on them. No, a soft answer turneth away wrath. There are so many things in Scripture that have to do with our, with our responses to others and our daily living. And we're to walk in love. We're to walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice of love for a sweet-smelling savor. True love that is exercised between us, between those that we know and those with whom we deal, is the kind of love that Jesus Christ showed us. He was willing to sacrifice. So it's, it's a love that leads us. It's a love that's also willing to lay down its life. That's what we read about husbands loving their wives. Oh, there's a section there about wives obeying their husbands, and that's not the most popular passage in the Scriptures, I've got to tell you right now. When it comes to people, if we were to have a popularity contest, that would be one of the least popular passages of Scripture. But see, God doesn't want us to treat each other uh, in the flesh in a carnal way that, that is uh, unpleasant and that is unkind and unloving and uncaring. God wants us to have a proper scriptural balance in the home. And so Jesus Christ uses the example of the wife and the husband and their relationship to picture the relationship of His church 
with Him. He's the bridegroom, we're the bride. And this is how we're supposed to respond. We're supposed to listen to Him and to work cooperatively. And it's supposed to be a pleasant experience, not an unpleasant one. Uh, here's a fellow that wrote an uh, interesting article, How to Kill a Church. He says, number one, by staying away from it. <laughs> uh, number two, by starving it. You know what that means. Number three, by strife in it. Number four, by stubbornness. Number five, by selfishness. I don't have time to give you the points, but you get, you, you understand the gist of it. Over in the Sword of the Lord, Jim Townsley writes, Order in the Church. This is just this week's uh, Sword of the Lord. The relationship between the members of a church and its leadership influences its growth and longevity. The church is more than an institution. It is a family. The Bible explains how we are to relate to one another. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. And then he goes on to speak about Christ loving the church and giving himself for it. So we have our example uh, in our Savior Jesus Christ. It is a love that leads us. It is a love that's willing to give its life for us. Now, as I speak today, I think about Dr. Boyce Taylor, who wrote a fantastic book about the local church. It's called Why Be a Baptist by Boyce Taylor. He was a Kentucky preacher. And uh, many of us old-fashioned Baptists love this book because it puts it very bluntly, very plainly about obeying God rather than men and uh, some of the differentiating, differentiating Baptist marks. He uses Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Then in chapter 2, as I've read, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And then chapter 4, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. He deals with this over the course of a number of pages, but he is saying basically what I've said in fewer words today, and that is that God is the one who gave us this institution. He gave us the home and he likens the church, to the relationship that we have in marriage. And we are to be lined up with Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. And we're to do what He says. And the leadership that He gives us, He gives us by the Spirit through the Word of God. And He gives to the churches certain gifted ones, pastors, teachers, evangelists, others as well. And so I realize my role, how important it is for me to speak the truth in love. There have been many great servants of God who've gone before us and have experienced the things that we're talking about today. One of these is Dr. J. Frank Norris. He was known as the Texas Tornado. And in the book that was written by his sidekick, Dr. Louis Ensminger, the J. Frank Norris I have known, he talks about when Norris went to pastor the First Baptist Church uh, in Fort Worth many years ago in the early 1900s. And he thought he was going to go out west and recuperate from uh, the taxing uh, responsibilities he had had as an editor of a, a paper that was read by 
Baptist pastors and lay leaders across the world. But instead of that, they called him. He wasn't their first choice. They called him as pastor. And they took a vote. And there were 334 votes cast by ballot. And there was opposition to the call. One whole family, the J.T. Pemberton family. Mr. Pemberton said, I'm not opposed to J. Frank Norris. I'm for him. But this church is not in condition for his type of ministry. If he comes here, there will be the all-firedest explosion ever witnessed in any church. We are at peace with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and with one another. And this fellow carries a broad axe and not a pearl-handled penknife. I just want to warn you. But now, since you have called him, I'm going to stay by him. And Norris goes on to say he did stay by him. But he warned them. Another place, he said there were razor blades a thousand feet high. Every time Norris got up to preach, he took issue with the world, the flesh, and the devil. I want you to know that I'm not friends with, nor have I struck my colors, nor have I signed a peace treaty with the world system, with the flesh, the sinful flesh of mankind, or with the devil. I am, I am virulently opposed to everything that the world, the flesh, and the devil stand for. I'm telling you that today so that you'll know that you're an old-fashioned church. You're not in a church where we're here to try to stroke the further right direction so everybody will feel good about their own sin. I'm a sinner. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Everybody ought to look at his or her own sin in that respect. Uh, that's with some measure of humility, though I never say I'm humble. But I want you to know that I know that I am a sinner saved by grace. I know that every other person in this building is a sinner. You may be a sinner saved by grace, but every one of us is. I take no joy, I have no glee or gladness in pointing out people's sin or shortcomings. But I know this, there's no way to get to God and to be saved unless we acknowledge the fact that we have need of a Savior. Everybody in this room has told a lie at least one time. We've practiced sin. We practice sin because we were a sinner by nature. That's it. I am a sinner by practitioner, by being a practitioner of sin, but I am also a sinner by being a sinner by nature. So both of those are absolutely true. I need a Savior. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And Jesus Christ has brought together those who have realized that and have been willing to admit it by calling upon the name of the Lord, receiving Christ as Savior, and, and now as a result we have accompanied ourselves together to get the good news out to the rest of the lost and dying world. When you have a chance and I have a chance, we take a gospel tract and we hand it to somebody. When we are in the restaurant or when we're with somebody, we want to share the good news. When we're at the, the place of work or school, we want to share the good news wherever we can. You say, oh, you, you're those kind of people. That's right, if you were walking down the street, and you saw a house and it was on fire and there were people, I mean, mom, dad, kids, grandma, grandpa, leaning out the windows, crying out, just about to burn up. What would you do? Would you stand there and say nothing and do nothing? No, you would do what I would do. You would rush in there if you could. You would extricate them if you could from the fire. You would try to save them from their destruction if you could. The same thing is true of every born-again believer. Everybody around us who's not saved is just like they're in a burning building. We need to tell them in love. We need to tell them because of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to try to help them. 
Uh, and how can we help them? Showing them Jesus Christ. Sharing Him with them. Oh, the love that He has expressed to us, that He has shown to us, is a love that leads. It's a, it's a love that also is willing to give its life. I want to go a little bit further. Look in verse number 8 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says, For ye were sometimes darkness. Once upon a time, your spirituality was the equivalent of darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What have we got? We've got that illumination. We've got that spiritual light that we can share with others. The love of the Lord Jesus is a love that leads us so that we can follow. We know where to go and how to speak, how to respond, how to treat others because Jesus Christ is, of course, our role model. He is our Savior. He's our example. He is also the one who indwells us in the person of the Spirit. He is the one who shows us that it's to be to the very end, no matter what. The love that we have is, is to be to the very end of our life. And then we are to manifest light. We are called small lights in this world. He is the great shining beacon known as the light of the world. We are small lights to give out, to show people the truth of Jesus Christ. When we read about the husband and the wife in this scenario in Ephesians chapter 5, they love each other completely. They are devoted to one another. That is a love that is loyal. That is a love that is true. And that's the love that Jesus Christ has for us and that's the love that we ought to have for His church and for His people and for lost souls that need to come to Jesus Christ. It is a love that lasts as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that it will endure. It will never stop. It is also a love that leaves. It doesn't abandon those that it loves, but there are priorities. And where we read later on for this cause, verse 31, shall a man leave his father and mother. When they come together in marriage, then you leave your, your other relationships. It doesn't mean that you hate those people but uh, you love them less. That means that no longer are you in that same situation. Though you still love your parents, you now have come together. And the church and Jesus Christ are in a very special relationship. And all other priorities are secondary by comparison with that relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in the Bible to prove our love. And we prove our love to the Lord Jesus Christ by the stewardship of our life, by the stewardship of our, of our life. Everything that we are and everything that we have or will ever, ever be is to the glory of God. It's stewardship. It's representation. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We prove that we are by being a good ambassador of Jesus Christ, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We give ourselves in loyalty. We commit ourselves. We're devoted we say, Lord, we want you to work in and through us. We can't do this on our own. Lord, we need you to do that. Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it, sacrificially as the substitute to, for the purpose of sanctifying us, for making us to become our very best so that we might live to the glory of God. God has done that for you. He's done that for me. And today we have the opportunity, once again, anew and afresh, to commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved us so much. And then we, in turn, can display that love, manifest that love to others. Those who are saved, yes, we, we will let this world know that we are Christians, not by our doctrine, though that's important, but we will know, or they will know that we are believers, that we are children of God because of our love for each other, the love for the brethren. We will also manifest our love for the lost, 
so that they will come to God. They'll desire that. They'll want that. Did you ever want to have all your sins forgiven? Did you ever want to have complete reconciliation with Almighty God? Did you ever want to have your guilt and your stain taken away from you? Did you ever want to have peace in your heart and in your life? Did you ever want to have joy and gladness? All the things that I've just mentioned to you and more are yours in Jesus Christ. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is a sense in which we do labor, but we don't labor to meet His requirements. We come to Him because there's no place else to go. And as we come to Him, He says, I'm so glad you came. I'm so glad you came. Listen to me. He's waiting for you right now. He's waiting for the one that's never been saved to come to God through Him right now. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one high priest. There's only one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ. You've got to call upon Him, receive Him as your Savior, have faith to believe that. He'll take away your sin. He'll take away your guilt. He'll take away your shame. He'll give you peace and joy where there wasn't any before. He'll do that. And He'll say, I'm so glad you came. I'm so glad you came. He'll never let you go. He'll never let you down. He'll never, he'll never demean you. He'll never put you down. He'll never upbraid you. That's my Savior, Jesus Christ. In this wonderful relationship. Let me speak to those right now who already have that relationship. But there's some coldness. There's some distance right now. You need to get right with God if that's the case. I'm not judging you. You just look in the Word of God, the Spirit of God saying, that's you. That's you, ma'am. That's you, sir. You need to get right with God. Won't you do it today? Come to God and be saved or come back to the Lord. Rededicate your life. Get right with God. Have some stirring up of the embers. Some old-fashioned revival in your heart and life. This is just a simple message. Just a simple message. But I want you to respond today. And I'm telling you, I got my hand up. I want to respond today. I want God to work in and through me today. How about you? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Nobody looking. And how many of you today would say, Preacher, something in the message about the local church that Jesus loved and gave Himself for. Something in that message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. 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 Let me ask you right now. Do you know for sure that heaven is your home? If you've received Christ as your Savior, I want you to go back as far as you can in your memory. Look back to a time when you prayed and you asked Jesus Christ in your heart. You asked Him to take away your sins, past, present, and future. And He cleaned the slate so that you became a new creature in Christ. If you can remember praying and asking the Lord Jesus to come in your life and save you, with every head bowed, would you slip your hand up right now? I remember doing that. I remember doing that. God bless you. Put your hands down. So many hands, but so many not raised as well. Will you do it right now? You say, what does it mean? It means that from your heart, you pray to God. And you mean these words. And you want the Lord to save you. To take away your sin debt. To make you brand new inside. Here's what you pray. Just pray silently. Dear God. Just pray it. Dear God. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus 
died to save me. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. Please take away my sins. And take me to heaven when I die. Take me to heaven when I die. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. I'm the only one observing. You just prayed that prayer and you really, truly meant it. Would you slip your hand up so I can see it right now? God bless you. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. That's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Now, I realize how things are. When the music begins to play in a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you truly meant that, I'm going to ask you just come down and shake my hand.
God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. 